Welcome to Canada's National Bible Hour. This is Brian Albrecht, your host of Mission Go. Today our scripture is taken from the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I think this is one of the most important verses in all the Bible because when we fear God, we put him first. We have a reverential fear for him. We love him. We we're so thankful for the fact that he's a holy God and he went to the cross and bore our sins and forgave us our sins. And because of these things, he's so much greater, so much more powerful, so much more loving, so much more concerning, so much more merciful. And we are so undeserving of his grace and of his love. And we put him first in our lives. That is the beginning of wisdom. There is a worldly wisdom that actually has no value. It actually is only temporal. It's only here for this lifetime. But there's an eternal wisdom that God gives us. It gives us an eternal perspective. It gives us a divine viewpoint on ourselves and the way we operate and live in this day and age. And with such confusion around us, we need to have God's power, we need to have God's presence, and we need to honor Him and trust Him and put Him first in our life. And as we do that, He will bless us, He will open doors for us and use us, and He will meet our needs. This is radio edition of Global Times. Today we have in our studio some missionaries from India, 
They've been with our ministry over 18 years and um, have quite a ministry uh, in India. We have Asher and Miriam and uh, Sam in our studio today. Asher is going to tell us about his church planning ministry that the Lord has blessed over the years. Sam, why don't you uh, share with how this all got started? In the year 1994, soon after our uh, Bible college uh, finished, and we stepped into the ministry into the villages, especially among the Dalits and the Gypsy village uh, tribal groups, we started witnessing to them and the Lord began to do wonders and the miraculous healing touch upon the Dalits and the tribal people. And the Lord opened up the doors where people are coming to know the Lord. And from that uh, people groups, some of the young people have given their lives to the Lord's ministry to work with us and witnessing to more villages. As the years gone by, few young people like Solomon and Pandu and Abraham, these people came along with us as a team. We been continue to reach the villages with the gospel. When we seen they're able to witness on their own, we set them up into a village to uh, continue to minister and uh, preach the gospel into the different villages. Asher, don't you also uh, train them? You send them to some training before we send them out? We give a short-time course like uh, three months uh, training, the free Bible school, and uh, some of them are uh, went through one year our uh, language uh, Bible school. After that, we sent them. And we started with uh, one, two people in the year 1994. And today we have uh, 30 pastors in the villages. And we really looking to the Lord to see their needs have been met in the Lord. We have a small farming where we raise up, raise a few milking calves from which we have taken a bit of tithe and we bought two motor cycles for the pastors. Of the 30 pastors, we only got two motorbikes. Uh, that is, we have taken their tithe from the milk that we got. So we, we wanted to just... Uh, see more blessings to these pastors in the villages by uh, having more uh, uh, help every month so that uh, they can survive and continue to preach the gospel. You have a bunch of milk cows that provide milk each each day and yes. you sell the milk and out of that milk you're able to uh, support these pastors and even uh, you've even been able to buy two motorbikes yes. to uh, go to the very villages so that's yeah. that's pretty exciting. So, and then you also mentioned that you have uh, meetings with these men. You continue to disciple these 30 men. We ask these uh, village pastors to come every month uh, uh, a fellowship where we can get together and share what, what the Lord been doing and what the needs are. So we together we pray in that uh, uh, fastest fellowship and also to make sure that they have a short-term course like uh, three months uh, Telugu in Telugu evangelism training so that they can be able to witness properly. 
Yeah, that's that's a really uh, wonderful ministry you have, and I'm so thankful that you're able to not only have a church uh, in your own compound uh, where the orf orphanage and uh, your ministry takes place, but also that you're reaching out to the various villages around and uh, have these men who are so faithful in sharing the gospel and um, being able to plant churches there. And so the Lord has really blessed you over the years, and we're so thankful for that. Praise the Lord for the way that um, continues to meet your needs and continues to help you, and we'll continue to pray for you over the next couple of months and years. Thank you for listening to Canada's National Bible Hour. As you know, this is a listener-supported program, and we would not be on the air without the support of all those who listen and pray for us. I really appreciate those who pray for us and those who remember us in their will or your trust. These are exciting times as we see Russia, the king of the north, coming down into Syria and having an alliance with Iran. And it looks to me like we may be coming close to the end days when our Lord could return and the tribulation could begin. This month, we're offering a booklet by Dr. Fred Hartman by writing Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R 7A7, or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. Good day. If you, your friends from church, or family members are interested in more information about short-term or career ministry opportunities, or seeking someone to come to your church, or a group to speak about international missions, please call 866-483-5787 in Canada or 888-900. 5048 in the United States or on the web visit www.missiongo.org. Open my heart, you
Today's message is from Reverend Art Larson and it is centered around the book of Philippians. Printed copies are available upon request. Tadu Sunder Singh and a companion were traveling through a pass high in the Himalayan mountains when they came across a body lying in the snow. They checked for vital signs and discovered the man still alive, but barely so. Sunder Singh, a wonderful Christian, prepared to stop and help this unfortunate traveler, but his companion objected, saying, we shall lose our lives if we burden ourselves with him. Sundar Singh, however, did not think of leaving the man to die in the snow without an attempted rescue on his part, but his companion quickly bade him farewell and walked on by himself. Sundar Singh lifted the poor traveler onto his back with great exertion on his part, made even greater by the high altitude and snowy conditions, and carried the man onward. As he walked, the heat cast off by his body began to warm the frozen man. He revived, and soon both were walking side by side together, each holding the other up, and in turn, each giving body heat to the other. Before long, they came upon yet another traveler's body lying in the snow. Upon closer inspection, they discovered him to be dead, frozen by the cold. He was Sunder Singh's original traveling companion. You see, my friend, by reaching out to help others, you not only forget your own problems, but you usually really help yourself. Now that story, though instructive and touching, does not compare with the passage of Scripture we're studying in Philippians chapter 2. In verses 5 through 11, we are looking at the sovereignty, the servanthood, the sacrifice, and the superiority of the Lord Jesus Christ. We read in verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, verse 6, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, verse 7, took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And now today, verse 8, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The key word is this word fashion, which emphasizes the outer appearance. As to his inner essence, Jesus Christ was the God-man. He was God in human flesh. But outwardly, he appeared as a man. So much did he appear as a man that many of his contemporaries did not know that he was also God, even though the Bible clearly declares it and Jesus claimed it. In this passage, the Apostle Paul is emphasizing that Jesus humbled himself, was willing to be born in such a lowly fashion and live here in a human form and serve as a slave, literally, to become our Savior. He went about doing good, denying himself, saying he had no place to lay his head. And yet, our Savior stooped that low for the likes of us. And then when it says in verse 8 that Jesus Christ became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, it is difficult enough to imagine the Lord Jesus giving up his glory with the Father and taking a position that would involve death. But it is especially difficult to imagine that he would agree to experience, and he did agree to it, the death of the cross. Even the unsaved people in Philippi to which Paul wrote with their Greek culture probably shuddered at the thought of the ugly death on the cross. What a cruel death that was. Paul told believers that this is precisely what Jesus Christ chose in contrast to his former position 
No wonder the Apostle Paul said, Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins, to satisfy the demands of a holy, righteous God against sin by becoming our very substitute, our sacrifice. Oh, think of his humiliation. He emptied himself, laying aside the independent use of his own attributes as God. He permanently became a human in a sinless physical body. He used that body to be a servant and went about doing good, healing the sick, raising the dead, making the blind to see, speaking as no man ever spoke and loving and caring with compassion, performing miracle after miracle. And then he took that body to the cross and willingly died as our sacrifice for sin, accepting the servant's place, entering the sinful world, adopting a selfless position, and then becoming our sacrifice for sin. And Paul is saying, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. But I want to dwell today on his sacrifice when Jesus Christ humbled himself and became obedient unto death, this doesn't mean that he obeyed death. No, he obeyed his father to the point of death. Jesus said, no man takes my life from me. I have the power to take it again. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it again. And that he came to do. And that he did as our Savior and our Lord. You know, people say many things about the death of the Lord Jesus. Maybe you're among them today, or maybe you've heard them. People who don't understand or read the Bible, who, are, who don't want to listen to what the Bible says. Some say he was a revolutionary, and all revolutionaries get what's coming to them in the end. And others say, no, it was more than that. He was a brave man, and the purpose of his death was to show how brave men should die. And then others say he was an idealist who lived a few centuries ahead of his time. People weren't ready for his idealism, and they were convicted by it, so they put him to death. Or he was just an idealist who came to an unfortunate end. And others say, no, he was a mystic. And people who are realists don't like mystics, so they want to get rid of them. All of these theories of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ are completely opposed to the truth that is revealed to us in the Bible, the Word of God, that his death was the outcome of his obedience to his Father, and that it was a plan before the world ever existed. Jesus Christ was the Lamb slain before the foundation of the world. The death of the Lord Jesus wasn't some glorious plan coming unstuck. It wasn't a great man dying for his ideals. It wasn't a revolutionary coming to an unfortunate end. The death of the Lord Jesus was God humbling himself to do the Father's will and making himself obedient to the point on, of death. And why on earth would God want his son to become man and to die on the cross? Well, that was an integral part of the divine plan. There was no other way. From the very first prophecy in Genesis 3.15 that the seed of the woman would bruise the serpent's head and that the serpent would bruise his heel, we realize from then on all the prophecies that Christ, who is a type in the Old Testament of the sacrificial lamb that was slain, the sacrificial animal that was slain, without blemish, without spot. Jesus Christ would be the Lamb of God who would come and by his death and sacrifice take away the sin of the world. The plan was not merely for Jesus to come into the world. If he had just come into the world, he would have showed us God and burned us up by the revelation of God. If Jesus had come into the world to show us what man is supposed to be like because he was sinless, he would have just driven us to despair because we cannot live a sinless life. 
but an integral part of the plan of God was that Jesus Christ would come into the world and live and die. His life would condemn us, but his death would save us. He would live a perfect, holy, sinless life, but he would die for our sins as the perfect, holy, sinless Lamb of God. The only way, neither is there salvation in any other, my friend. There is none other uh, name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You see, his death was also an indispensable factor of God's divine plan. God's plan to restore men and women to himself meant that Jesus Christ had to be our sacrifice. You see, man is fallen. God is holy. And only through the precious shed blood of Jesus Christ and the basis of his death on Calvary's cross can man ever be reconciled to God. You see, when you read the Bible, you find God loves people, but he hates their sin. Today, when you speak out against sin, they call you a bigot. God speaks out against sin. God condemns sin of every kind and in every form. That is not bigotry. God loves the person, but God hates the sin. And he had to demonstrate his love for people, and he demonstrated his hatred for sin at the same time. How did he do it? He did it on the cross. In the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, we see the greatest demonstration of love the world has ever known, and we also see the greatest demonstration of hatred the world has ever known. Not only that those who crucified Jesus hated him, no, the fact that God hated sin so much that he had to punish his own son who became sin for us on the cross. Anytime I want to know how much God loves sinners, look at the cross. Anytime I want to see how much God hates sin, look at the cross. They are both there. I see Christ being obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, in order that my sin might be dead in him and God might be in a position to forgive me. So the cross of Christ was totally supreme. Christ was even supreme at the moment of death when he dismissed his spirit and cried with a loud voice, it is finished. Literally, it was one word, finished, and accomplished the work that God the Father had given him to do. His death is indisputable in evidencing the fact that God loved you and me in our sin and sent his Son to be our Savior. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ is supreme, whichever way you look at it, supreme in being, the reality of his deity, the equality of his deity, the humility of his deity, supreme in life, accepting the servant's place, entering a sinful world, adopting a selfless position, supreme in death, you see, he had to die because that was God's divine plan. He had to die for our sin because you and I have no other way of having forgiveness for our sin. The wages of sin is death if you don't accept Jesus Christ's forgiveness. You will die in your sin and for your sin and be forever separated from a holy God because Jesus Christ is the only way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father but by him. But what kind of a death did he die? In reading the verses I'm going to read from Isaiah's prophecy, chapter 52, verses 14 and 15, I want to then make a comment from a biblical scholar about this passage of Scripture. I want you to listen, friend, because this is what Jesus did for you. This is how he suffered for you so that you could, you could be saved and forgiven. Isaiah 52, which comes before that great and marvelous uh, chapter, 
of prophecy which describes the agonies and the suffering on the cross, Isaiah 53. Listen to what it says, Isaiah 52, verses 14 and 15. As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him, for that which had not been told them they shall see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. And it says, this writer, this commentator says, the English of the King James Version is often more picturesque and precise than the diluted English of the present age. The object astonished or astonished is the above passage, a word much weaker than it had in its original. The word astonished means like a stone or petrified, and the picture Isaiah seeks to convey is exceedingly graphic. The person being described is so disfigured that those who see him are petrified with horror. They are hearing and seeing an event indescribable and unprecedented in all of history. What do you think Jesus looked like on the cross? The Hebrew word translated visage is ordinarily used to describe a beautiful countenance, but now that countenance has been marred literally made into corruption more than any man had ever experienced. His, the beautiful Lord Jesus Christ, his form had been so deformed by our sin as he bore it on the cross that he no longer even looked human. Who is this? It is the servant, the Lord Jesus Christ, willingly obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He, the Bible says, took our sins. In fact, Isaiah 53, 6, that great passage says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him. That word laid on connotes a crushing, shattering, pummeling effect. The Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Oh, my friend, the sovereignty the servanthood and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ ought to bring from us a love, a surrender, a dedication, a consecration like nothing else. But think of it. The maker of the universe as man for man was made a curse. The claims of law which he had made up to the uttermost he paid. His holy fingers made the bowel which grew the thorns that crowned his brow. The nails that pierced his hands were mined in secret places he designed. He made the forest whence there sprung the tree on which his body hung. He died upon a cross of wood, yet made the hill on which he stood. The sky that darkened o'er his head by him above the earth was spread. The sun that hid from him its face by his decree was poised in space. The spear which pierced his precious side was tempter, tempered in the fires of God. The grave in which his form was laid was hewn from rocks his hand had made. The throne on which he now appears was his from everlasting years. But a new glory crowns his brow, and every knee to him shall bow. Make your choice and receive him as your Savior and Lord today. I'm sure this message from God's Word was a real blessing to you. Here at Kansas National Bible Hour, we want to share biblical truth so that people can grow in their faith and grow closer to Christ. But we also want to make sure that people that listen to this broadcast have an opportunity 
to realize that they need a, a savior. All mankind are sinners. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And of course, all of us know that we're sinners. We tell lies, we do things that we're ashamed of. The Bible goes on to tell us that the wages of sin is death. In other words, spiritual death, separation from God, eternity in hell. But that verse goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life. You can have eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You need to ask Jesus Christ to come into your life and he will redeem you by his own precious blood and you'll become a new creature. And you can do that by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, confessing your sins and asking him to become part of your life. Remember to order your copy of What Will Life Be Like During the Thousand Year Reign of Christ by Dr. Fred Hartman. You can write to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R7A7, or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231. We also have podcasts on iTunes. Look for Mission Go-Radio. And on the web, you can hear our broadcast by visiting www.missiongo.org. We look forward to being with you next week. May the Lord continue to bless you and keep you in a mighty way.